Well, hi there, and welcome to my podcast where I invite you to run with me after memories and shape them into stories. On this show, I'll also share samples of my writing and interesting moments from everyday life. I'm your host, Ruru Sig, and you're listening to my podcast, The Story Chaser. Okay, hello out there, and welcome back to season three, good folks. The Story Chaser podcast is back, and uh, it's been a little over two months since my last episode. Yikes. I'm a little rusty. I've been through some shit, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Things are things, right? Things are things. We've learned that, and I blew the dust off my mic, and I'm here. And I just simply want to thank you for tuning back into my little show. And I hope you enjoy a whole new season, which is right on time, if you ask me. Let's all go forth into a new season. Tonight's episode is for males who did everything she said she was going to do. She was an inspiration and a phenomenal human being and the best friend. Tonight, I'm talking about visuals, the ones living in your mind long after their occurrence. For instance, I recently saw a man riding a bicycle while smoking a cigarette, and I thought, well, hey there, fella. You're just going to do it all, huh? The best of both worlds at the same time. Another example was the time I curiously followed a clicking little chomping sound that led me low to two cockroaches. Their stick legs lay flat in the fate of a glue trap, which they had struggled to escape. One, still alive, was eating the head off the other, hence the sound. I knelt down to get a closer look, and I said out loud, Really, dude? You know this is the end, and you're just going to get one last meal off your pal? There is no loyalty amongst roaches at all. And when life offers a quiet pocket or brings you to a halt, with it is one big string of visuals. I'm sharing a vignette I wrote about a specific visual involving my dear friend. I entitled the following piece, Fool Me Once, Are You Awake, Duty? The apartment was more of a long layout than wide, but quite spacious. The living room was grand wrapped with windows across the entire front wall and half the side walls. The sun would pour across the windowsills, wide enough to sit upon, and gaze out at the headlights zipping east and west down 95th Street. We decided that this room would be Doug's because he actually found the apartment. There wasn't a door separating it from the rest of the apartment, so we hung a maroon bedsheet for his privacy. Since we couldn't knock, we would sound our existence with a caw, caw, 
and wait for the invite to enter. The draped doorway led into the dining room, where we dined with our heroes like Kurt Cobain and the Beastie Boys taped to the walls. The decorating to be expected from three 20-year-olds with their first pad. Johnny O's room was set off this room and through the next doorway, our small bathroom to the right, which then led into our kitchen. My bedroom door was across from the bathroom and set almost center in the kitchen. We had a walk-in pantry that would have been a dream come true to any of our mothers had it been in our childhood homes. It was the size of some apartments as a whole I've seen in New York City. But we had no idea what to do with it. I mean, we placed some cheap mixing bowls on the shelves day one and maybe never opened the door to it again. There was an addition placed towards the rear of the kitchen, which we used as our hangout den. It was large enough to fit a futon, a recliner, a dingy couch, a coffee table, and a small television. We spent most of our time together in the den. I used to be in awe of children's bedrooms that I saw in sitcoms or even in real life when visiting friends. Bedspread neatly lay across the bed, matching the curtains and a desk in a quiet corner for homework. Shoot. (laughs) The three of us came from crowded homes where we did our assignments in any odd spot you can think of. Under a dining room table, in the garage, outside on the porch, or most times, let's face it, we didn't do our homework at all. We came from a shared chaos, and for the first time in our lives, we could express our upbringing amongst people that could relate, understand, and sympathize with it. We shared secrets and how we felt about being the youngest of big families, which was something all three of us had in common. Johnny was the youngest of seven, Deg's nine, and me twelve. We grew up in less than a mile radius from each other. And this apartment existed outside the shadows of our older siblings and shed a new light on us as individuals. We did not lose the embracing of this newfound freedom. Johnny O, a man ahead of his time in technology, he was a hero. Standing at six feet tall in grammar school, his perfectly side-combed hair contrasting his edgy class clown behavior, Boldly approaching the struggling teacher, trying to hook up the television, wheeled in for movie day. He has always had a natural understanding for mechanics and how things worked from the inside spark. And we applauded him every time the screen went from squiggles to a clear frame. His cheeks flushed with pride, returning to his seat. He loves stories, but only when they're told well. As children, we didn't know we shared this passion, but as roommates, it's the very thing that bonded us. Johnny and I watched independent films and terrible television. His lanky body, legs dangling well past the footrest of the recliner, would tremble with joy when we caught Mystery Science Theater. We adored the robots in the front row, offering their take on whatever B-movie played. And if we watched one of the four films we owned, The Matrix, Half-Baked, The Shawshank Redemption, or What Dreams May Come, he would often pause it so we could discuss our theories, dislikes, and likes about the film. And the funny thing is about these nights is that we rarely repeated conversation. 
We kept it original, and more often it grew into things that were going on in our real lives, our relationships, and work-life worries. Sure, we loved films, but those stories were the gateway into the depths of who we were, and we traveled together. Our roots were more traditional than the rest of our friends. We both had devout parents in the church whom we admired. We both strived to not let them down, sometimes failing. Deggs, who coined the E on the tail end of dude, making duty his stamp in this world, was the most worldly of the three of us. He was uprooted as a teen from our neighborhood and moved to a more rural area of the Midwest. And it was there that he learned about hunting, fishing, and survival. In simple terms, he had seen a thing or two. And he brought those skills home to our city neighborhood the minute he was old enough to be on his own again. Deggs and I shared a keen sense for who people were, no matter who they seemed to be. Our bullshit detectors, very sharp. When I found myself at the maroon sheet, caw cawing, it was almost always okay to enter. And there I would find Deggs, sitting on the edge of his mattress, which lay frameless on the floor, his toes pigeoned towards each other, and a boombox across his locked knees. You're right on time, duty, dead hour. He often moves his hands across his face rapidly when something about his setting changes, the same way a chalkboard gets erased to write a new, new information. My presence in the room was a clean board. I would settle on the floor beside him in the sea of his discarded laundry and rest my head on the edge of the mattress. The ceiling was my focal point, as Jerry Garcia would sing. I didn't know I loved the Grateful Dead till I had Deggs as a roommate. Getting lost in the instrumental solos, we shared dreams about the future. I would paint up wild tales about how I wanted to be on television, but also a writer in my free time. His goals were more realistic as he would speak of owning his own house with a large yard for his future family. We laughed about who we were then, recognizing how we were outcasts in typical social situations and wise enough to laugh about it. We wore warm smiles between the songs. Times stood still in our evenings of pure dreaming. The three of us hanging out in the den often led to innovative thinking. What if we came up with a service where people called us and we went to the store and got them fast food, then delivered it to their house? This was an idea born in that den, which ignited a three-hour conversation. We even jotted down some notes in strategic planning on how to execute our idea. Yet, we never did a thing about it. I remember that mini-meeting of the impaired every time I hear someone talk about DoorDash or Uber Eats and I think, a great idea that died on the vine, then drowned in some bong water, only to be revived by someone else. We should have been millionaires. Another was the time we planned an indoor slip-and-slide on paper, imagining all the fun we would have with our friends that visited. Thank God. We passed out before constructing it and destroying the hardwood floors. 
Unlike our friends adjusting to rustic living in their college houses, being resourceful was not something we had to learn. We were already born into that mentality. We high-fived each other through our winter gloves, perched upon those wide windowsills, eating our macaroni and cheese, when the radiators beneath our feet hissed and rattled at full function. That meant we could remove our coats that night. We understood the value of real-life entertainment, and when the circling red glow of the police lights lit up our walls, we pushed away from the poker table in the middle of our kitchen and ran to the windows. And sure enough, we'd see yet another couple of drunks being handcuffed outside the seedy lounge called Panos across 95th Street. Oh yeah, bust him up, we would yell in delight. Every once in a while, we would pull some extra money together and order takeout from the Chinese restaurant across the street. The delivery man didn't need to drive over, and we would see him with the brown bag hanging from his hand, running across 95th Street. Here he comes! Our dinner is coming! Both guys took turns waiting up for me to return from work, night after night. They were protective, like brothers, and for this I was blessed. I always thanked them and recognized them sacrificing precious sleep as both had early morning work hours. But neither ever let me feel bad about that. Which leads me into the night of the visual. Remember how I started this episode? I promised you an unforgettable visual. It was late. I walked up our back stairs, as I always did, and entered the apartment through the door that opened right into the den. The room was dark, except for the TV glowing on Deggs. He was on the futon holding the remote. I closed the door quietly and pushed each shoe off at the heel and tucked them to the right of the door. I put my keys back into my purse and walked in front of the screen to the couch. Thanks for waiting up for me, Dugs, I said, pulling a cigarette from my purse. I lit the smoke and leaned back into the couch, taking a long drag, as if I hadn't already had to on my way home. <laughs> I blew the smoke upward and sat back straight. I'm kind of bummed out tonight. I don't know. I mean, it's like I'm watching everyone else go forward, and it seems fast, too. Like everyone else has these goals and achievements and they're just crushing them. And well, I feel like I'm going nowhere. Tonight was so busy at work and I could barely keep up. I'm just super tired, but in a stupid way. And sometimes I feel like I'm wasting my life, you know? I pounded my cigarette out halfway smoked, deciding it was nicotine overload after all. And I looked at Doug's. He continued to just stare at the TV with no change in his expression. He didn't even turn the volume down to hear me better or offer any sort of comment on what I was saying. I would have been offended if I wasn't slightly alarmed. You know, Doug's, like, you ever feel like that, buddy? Like you're the one holding yourself back from a better life with the choices you've made? Nothing. No response. I looked at the TV and I 
couldn't believe an episode of MASH was so compelling that he was so engrossed enough to ignore me. I couldn't believe it, and I didn't believe it. Was something wrong with him? I stood, and then I leaned over the coffee table between us to look into his eyes. Dude, are you okay? I asked. His blank expression and cold eyes said nothing. A few seconds passed, and he finally responded in the all-familiar, every-human-knows sound. I backed up, turned, and walked out of the den as fast as I could without actually running. Behind the closed door in my bedroom, I held my hand across my chest, whispering, What the f*** that? That dude was sleeping with his eyes open. And not only had I not known that to be a real thing, I had never seen it before. It was terrifying and bizarre. A few minutes passed when I heard Degs were rustling around a little. The remote dropped to the floor. I was still in shock in one spot in my room, and he shuffled through the kitchen. Hey, you home duty? Yeah, yeah, Dags, I'm, I'm home, I'm all good, thanks. I never forgot that. Just when you think you know someone, a curveball gets thrown and they are totally new. 20 years have passed since that visual. Both guys have built beautiful families with their wives and shaped themselves into the terrific grown men I always knew they would be. It isn't often enough, but sometimes I see both Johnny O and Deggs in a social setting of some sort, and every time, every time I'm having a conversation with Deggs, I'm actually thinking, fool me once, are you awake, duty? This is as good a place as any to end this episode. My name is Ruru Sig, and I thank you for listening to The Story Chaser. Remember... There are stories everywhere. The key is to focus in on the little memories to find the bigger moments. My promise to you is that I'll keep chasing those stories. Be well, folks, and go ahead. Have a wonderful life.